0: Thank you, Rabbi Moowitz and Rabbi Brown. And uh, always a pleasure to be following uh, Dennis. Uh, as you'll hear uh, Dennis and a few others, uh, we, we spend uh, a certain amount, a certain amount of time together uh, up on the campus these days. It was early on a Friday morning, in the early hours of the day. Our son was going to be celebrating his second birthday in about a little over a week. And the phone rang and it pierced through the sleep. It was a fire chief. Rabbi, your synagogue is fully engulfed. It is a six alarm fire and there is nothing that remains of the synagogue. We believe it was a firebomb, a Molotov cocktail. You're listening to the words and trying to determine, are you asleep? Is this a dream or is this reality? And Kathy turns to me as she sees the expression on my face, what is it? Who died? I said, fortunately, no one but our building is no more. I made two phone calls to the president and past president of the congregation, to Jerry Groh, to Sid Kirsten, and they joined me about 4.30 in the morning on West 10th. We stood outside as the firemen were finishing putting out the last of the flames. We looked at one another, and I nodded. No words needed to be said. We have to go now, and we have to be quick, or they won't let us in. And we ran up the stairs, and the first floor with our social hall, was completely gutted. There was a portable ark and two separate Torah there for our religious school, no more. And then we made our way up to the second floor, which was our synagogue. The smoke was thick. It burned through your nostrils, water everywhere. And we made a mad dash, of course, to the Ark. At that point, firemen came in and started yelling and screaming at us and said, what are you people doing? This floor could collapse at any time. Get out of here. And at that instance, the fire chief came and said to the firemen, they'll be out in a minute, they have to do something. The fireman said to the chief, what could be so important that they're going to put themselves in jeopardy? And the fire chief said, just watch and you'll see. And We opened the ark
1: and what was left of
0: it, but the Torahs in there were safe. And I said to Jerry and I said to Sid, We're going to have to take all of them in one fell swoop because they're not going to let us back up here. And so the three of us grabbed the five Torahs and dashed out. And there they were put in my car. Two of them would ultimately go to the JCC where they would remain in another portable ark for the next three years. And three would live in my living room. When our son would invite people over, he would love to show them around the house. And this is our kitchen. And this is our family room. And this is where my Torahs live. Shai so thought everybody had Torahs living in their house. That was no, January the 25th, 1985 and this Sunday is the 30th anniversary of that firebomb.
1: That Friday
0: night we gathered at the JCC and through individuals like Glenda Gutman a phone tree was established and Really, within an hour, the entire congregation at that point, about 275 families were contacted. The building is destroyed, but the congregation is alive. Services tonight at the JCC. And it was, of course, overflowing. The next day, Saturday, I got there early, arranging certain things. And from the back of the Wasp Auditorium, I noticed two people coming in. It was the mayor of Vancouver and his wife, Mike and Becky Harcourt. And he came up to me and he said, Phil, I can't tell you how ashamed I am, how embarrassed I am, how furious I am that this has taken place on my watch as mayor of Vancouver. And he handed me an envelope, which I opened many hours later. And contained in that envelope was the very first donation for the rebuilding of Temple Shalom from Mike and Becky Harcourt. It's things like this that you do remember. You see, this wasn't the first time that there was an attempt on the building. There had been one weeks before, but the police poo-pooed it. We, in fact, were now putting iron bars on the windows of our little building. We had completed all but one window, which was going to be completed on that Friday, and that is where the bomb came in the Molotov cocktail. They never caught the individual, and for the next three years, we held services in the JCC. Our weekend religious school was at Palmatore at the time and continued. But now the question was, where were we going to meet as an office? And we first started at Arthur and Glenda's house for about a week or so. And then we found a two-bedroom apartment in Oak Ridge but it really was not satisfactory. And I believe it was in March, the phone rang. It was Rabbi Mordechai Fierstein, the rabbi of Sherat Sedeck, the Orthodox Synagogue. And thus began an incredible conversation an incredible phenomenon. Phil, we have space. Come and take a look. Have your office in my synagogue. We went, we saw these huge classrooms that were not being used. I said, Morty, the space is terrific. Just one question, what's the rent? He we said, we'll talk. A month after we moved in, I said, saw him in the hallway, House the space? I said, it's fantastic. What's the rent? We'll talk. Two and three quarter years later, we moved out. Morty. What do we owe you? We'll talk. Find me another Orthodox synagogue that was going to house a Reform synagogue's office. Forget about the fact that there was no rent, just that we would be in the building. We were part of an organization that Rabbi Solomon, my wonderful conservative colleague and myself were privileged to start in 1981, called Rab, the Rabbinical Association of Vancouver. Something that made, and I think continues to make, this community quite unique. Where all rabbis, with one exception, Chabad chooses not to be part of us, Not that they haven't been asked, but they choose not. But all the other rabbis in the community meet together and have been since 1981. A collegiality, a unity that is probably quite unique on the face of the earth. I'm not going to go through the history of these 30 years because that's why we have this year the decade celebrations and phenomenal ones that are taking place as we celebrate our 50 years as a synagogue. But rather I would like to share some of my reflections upon where we are 30 years after.
1: When I walk into this
0: synagogue and I walk into this sanctuary which I love so much, we first of all are greeted in the foyer with those tablets of the Ten Commandments. Those were part of an original Aaron Kodesh made by the late Raphael Levine, ala Shalom of Seattle. That is what remains of the old ark. That sat on top of the actual box, so to speak.
1: And then I come into this sanctuary which I love.
0: And every time my eyes are drawn to one thing immediately before anything else, that hanukia. Because, and it cannot be explained that was standing beside the window where the bomb came in and everything else in the room was destroyed, except that Chanukkiah. Neskadol Hayah sham An incredible miracle that occurred in our midst. And for me it stands as the beacon of hope, of light, of fortitude, of courage. It had been donated to the congregation just a short time before the fire by Tobin Robbins and Jeannie Watchett in honor of their son. And here it stands years later, still as a beacon of life and of hope and of courage. So where are we 30 years later? Like anything in the news, there's the good and the not so good, the good. We as a community have grown, not only the synagogue, but the Vancouver Jewish community.
1: There is still that
0: collegiality that takes place amongst the clergy and the synagogues and a tremendous amount of collaboration that goes back and forth between us. Again, quite unique. Our institutions have gone through refurbishing and they too have, in many instances, grown. But the increase in the community has slowed because what also has happened in these 30 years is that we have seen the most ridiculous, absurd, and unbelievable rise in real estate. Good if you got in early, not so good if you're trying to get in now. And that, in itself, is a problem and a dilemma within our community as to where our young people are going to go and where they're going to live. Thirty years ago, we did not have a federation in our community. We have something called a Fund and Council. Federation took place after that fire in January of 85, a few years later. And that is also a wonderful story of success. And unfortunately, even though our campaigns increase every year, the need increases even greater. The financial needs that have to address the things of poverty, And have to address the social needs, the emotional needs, the mental needs, the physical needs of those who are in need. But I am concerned about where we are now. I look at the world. And every day, it seems that it's getting crazier and crazier. And I take a look at the Jewish world and how we are the magnet, it appears, for almost every crazy in the world who is drawn to us, not to help, but to destroy. And as I take a look at our world today I ask myself in all sincerity are we back in the 1930s again in Europe? And my answer is unquestionably yes. Because today we now have to ask about the Jews of Paris and the Jews of London And the Jews of Antwerp, the same questions that were asked of the Jews of Berlin, of Warsaw, and of Vienna. How long are you going to stay before you understand the writing on the wall? I see a complete parallel with the Jews of France and the Jews of England and whatever few Jews are still remaining in Scandinavian countries with the Jews of Germany and the Jews of Poland
1: and the Jews of
0: Austria. But there is one major difference, one major, major difference, and the world knows it and the world hates us for it. It's called Israel, because now we have a place to go. For me, outside of Israel, I really believe that there are probably only three countries left in the face of this earth that are now safe for Jews. Canada, the United States, and Australia. That's it. Unless, of course, you want Antarctica or the Arctic. I have said all my life to my congregation, keep your passport up to date and liquidity in some of your earnings. You never know when we're going to be moving again. Am I paranoid? You betcha. And I never want that paranoia to drop below a certain level. I know that right now we are supposedly safe in North America, but I don't know if that is going to continue. And I'm going to share you share with you certain things of where I am right now in my present job as the executive director of the Hillel's of British Columbia. My office is very, very close to Dennis's office and very close to Jeff Balin's office. Dennis, who works at the law school, and Jeff Balin, out of Souder the business school. Phenomenal, magnificent building that the community built a number of years ago, not too many, about four years ago we opened it up at Hillel, right in the middle of campus, unbelievable. We are completely and totally independent from the campus. And due to the unbelievable effort of many, and certainly the president at the time, Martha Piper, taking the lead, we have a phenomenal lease on that building. And there are certain individuals in this room who were absolutely instrumental that that took place. But I am seeing a change that is happening here in British Columbia. After quiet for many, many years, things are now not so quiet. And it's not just at UBC. Next week, I'm out at SFU talking to professors, and I'm going to have to then address issues that are occurring now at UVic. Let me tell you the email I got yesterday from my director at UVicula. We're about to have a Holocaust Awareness Week, but we in fact are not presenting it. It is something from a wonderful organization called Eyewitness. They're the ones wanting to bring Holocaust Awareness Week to the University of Victoria and are partnering with us. And my director went up and got all sorts of other partners within the Jewish community and within the student community of UVic. And last night, I get an email saying, all the non-Jewish clubs now want their names and their logos removed from the poster because they will be associated with Israel if they are on that poster, something they find completely and totally unacceptable. I can't participate in a Holocaust awareness because I, my club, will be tainted as being a supporter of Israel.
1: we got word back
0: in November that the nefarious and disgusting BDS boycott, divestment and s- sanctions against Israel is coming to UBC in the form of a referendum. Now I must tell you something about BDS. It won't make a hill of beans difference from an economic point of view to Israel. It won't, not at all.
1: But what it does do,
0: It marginalizes. It puts a target on Jews. It creates a climate of toxicity. And it says, we hate you. You see, BDS is not about dialogue. BDS is not about a two-state solution. All you have to do is look at their websites and listen to their chant. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That means the complete and total eradication of the state of Israel. That's what BDS is about. And that is why we are fighting it. And that is why we will not stand for it. Will we win? I don't know. There's a lot of low hanging fruit that the BDS are counting on, mostly in the areas of the humanities, in the departments of English, and the departments of sociology, and the departments of political science, and the departments of history. You mention the word Israel, and you will see red on the faces of students and professors alike. But Hillel is not alone. We're not alone in looking at this and dealing with this. Because you see, I've got guys like Dennis Pavlich,
1: and I've got guys like Jeff
0: Bailey, and I've got guys like the rabbis Revitzen. I have and we have individuals who are standing up, and I have priests and ministers, who are also standing up. We are very, very busy because our whole existence is about dialogue. Our whole existence at Hillel is about collaboration. I am the Jewish chaplain, and I have the privilege of sitting with 16 other UBC chaplains every other week. And the meeting place of the UBC chaplaincy is Hillel. And every other week, priests, and ministers, and imams, and rabbis, and others come into that building. And when they come into our building, they're going to see a Palestinian flag and an Israeli flag sitting there like this. And behind it, they will say, it takes two for peace. That's what we're about. You name it, we will go there or come to us and we will talk and we will share. But the BDS is sponsored by an organization called SPHR, the Solidarity for Palestinian Human Rights. The very first day of classes that I was out there back in September of 2013, we have something at UBC called Imagine Day, where all the clubs put out a table throughout the entire university. You want to be a vegan. You want to be a liberal, a conservative, an NDP. You want to be part of a sports group. You want to be this, you want to be that. We've got the Jewish Student Association. We've got the Israel on campus. And I made a beeline to the STHR and introduced myself. And I said very, very quietly to the lady sitting behind the table, I introduced myself and said, Can we get some of your people and some of my people to quietly sit down and begin a conversation? And her response was, we have a no-dialogue policy with you people. Well, I started laughing. She said, did I say something funny? And I said, well, most people would know that it's hard to stymie me, but you sort of have me stymied. But what I'm really laughing at is that, you see, I'm on the horns of a dilemma. Why? Well, I have a question. So, well, if I ask it, we'll be engaging in dialogue. I couldn't resist. She said, go ahead. What's your question? Why won't you talk to your enemy? Who else are you going to talk to? Why wouldn't you sit and talk with us? In her answer, if we talk to you, we give credibility to your murderous and genocidal ways, and now we are finished. And with that, the book went up in front of her face, and we were finished. And in good Jewish sense, what did I do the next day? I went back to the table to see if someone else was sitting there. Unfortunately, it was her with someone else. Not only were they not having dialogue with me, but it appears they weren't having dialogue with each other either. We would like nothing more to be able to sit down with the SPHR and anyone else that we want to or wants to talk. And we will do anything and everything in our, in our power to do that. But right now that doesn't seem to be possible. But the concern that I have in all of this is that when a BDS motion, and it's a referendum out to the entire student body, is presented out there, and the greatest thing we've got going out at UBC is absolute and total apathy on the part of students when it comes to politics, but still, we have an uphill battle. Last year, they got 11,000 out of 53,000 individuals who voted in the student government elections. And this referendum is going to be connected to student government elections in March. So I'm figuring maybe this this year there will be 12,000 people, and I've got to get 7,000 people who are going to vote no. And that means that we've got to go out and we've got to talk and we're going to be talking about dialogue, and we're going to be talking about collaboration, not about hate. My concern today, as I look back, is is there a silence amongst Jews that is somewhat similar to the silence that existed in the 1930s as well? Oh, yes, we have those who are very vocal. Yes, we have those who stand up and sometimes act inappropriately. Jews on behalf of Jews. But I'm mostly concerned about, to coin a phrase from American politics years ago, the silent majority. And I believe that the majority are silent on so many issues. This is not a referendum directed against Israel, per se. This is a referendum of hate. There are no referendums concerning what goes on in Syria, what goes on in Saudi Arabia, what goes on in Nigeria, what goes on in China, what goes on on anywhere. The crazy thing is that we here in Canada, and in particular in British Columbia, are living on occupied land. We are settlers. And yet that is not an issue that anybody here seems to be concerned about, at least enough to do or to ultimately come to a treaty with our aboriginal hosts. But let's instead turn our direction thousands of miles away, of which we know very little about, and let's have our opinion over there. Can you be critical of Israel? Of course. You go to Israel, stand in line. There they have newspapers, not like the patsies that we have here. There they have newspapers every day ripping the government apart, ripping the army apart. It is a robust, unbelievable democracy. Israel has all sorts of issues that she must deal with. But the ultimate essence is that she has the right to exist. But so many in the world today say no. I don't know how many of you caught the news of this former Dutch cabinet minister who giving an interview yesterday says, we have to now right the wrong. All the Jews must leave Israel within 25 years. They are to go to the United States. The United States is to give them space. That will be their homeland. And today my staff had a vociferous argument as to which part of the United States we want to claim some crazy said california i said manhattan and they're getting about 50 cents on the dollar if we do the exchange can you imagine that somebody is now saying and without any shame of course Because, you see, that's what the discussion is about today. This week, on Monday, I was at one campus with a student going up against the professor that I not only think I know crossed the line because the student had taped what the professor had said. And then on Tuesday, I was at another university in with the student and this time with one of my other staff members that I sent into a class to audit and we had direct quotes. I don't know what's worse, the egregious remarks that are made by the professors or their unwillingness to own their own words. Now, don't get me wrong in our institutions in the lower mainland we have some of the brightest some of the kindest some of the most creative men and women imaginable teaching our young people but we also have some very very rotten apples in the barrels and our job at Hillal is to be there to protect and to serve at the beginning of the year, there was a letter that I send out saying to any student, if you feel threatened in the class because of things that are said, whether it's about Judaism or Israel, whether it's a homophobic comment, a racial comment, whatever it might be, you need to come to us because we will be there as an advocate. And my concern is that for every student that comes forward, There are probably 10 or 15 that don't. Now for the good news. We will survive. We always have. But what I don't know is how many will be left standing. Not because of war and not because of terrorism but because they simply have chosen to walk away. And that's why what happens in this building, what happens with these rabbis and these clay cuggish, is so very important. What will the next 30 years bring? It will be a challenge. But you know, we're going to meet it. We will survive. And that Hanukkah will continue to burn brightly. Amen.